right, if you are new here, uh, we have been journeying through, I think, a three-month-long series, which is the longest series we've ever done. And uh, we've been diving deep into Jesus' teaching uh, called the Beatitudes. And uh, this sermon series, I hope for you, at least for me, it's been so transformative. It's been so uh, amazing. And if you don't know what the Beatitudes is, this is Jesus' introduction to his sermon series in a sense about the kingdom. And he, he comes on this mountain, he teaches this multitude, and he's introducing this new kingdom that he's coming to usher in, right? He, he, he went around and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he introduces his kingdom by saying the types of people in his kingdom that are blessed. And as we've journeyed through this this sermon of Jesus, we've, we've seen just how countercultural Jesus' teaching actually is. We've seen just how different his kingdom actually is from the kingdom that we are living in. And the beautiful thing about these eight blessings, as we've dove deep into them, we see that these eight blessings are actually an invitation to embody Jesus. That all these eight blessings are blessings in his kingdom because they're attributes of him. So I want to go into, I'll just read these eight blessings and what it means for us today. The first is that the poor in spirit are blessed because they know how to be fully dependent on him. Those who mourn are blessed because they draw near even in the midst of their pain. The humble are blessed because they are fully submitted to God. Those who hunger for righteousness are blessed because they find their satisfaction in God's way and truth. The merciful are blessed because they extend God's forgiveness. The pure in heart are blessed because they live with pure motives. The peacemakers are blessed because they bring reconciliation wherever they go. And the last, the persecuted, are blessed because they've chosen to break out of comfort and live fully for his kingdom. So this is what we've been going after the last few months. And today we are going to wrap up this series and uh, I'm excited to just see what the Lord wants to do. Uh, but when we read Jesus' words in Matthew 5, the goal is to embody his sermon, to unlearn the patterns of our world and to adopt his value system. Right? We want to adopt how Jesus defines greatness, how Jesus defines success, how Jesus defines satisfaction and happiness. Because when we read these eight blessings, in the world's view, these aren't blessings, right? Being poor in spirit doesn't sound like that great of a blessing. And the word blessing, what Jesus is actually saying in the original language, it means happy. Happy is the one who is poor in spirit. Happy is the one who is mourning because they will be comforted. But I also believe that it's so much more than this, that these statements are also the full realization of all of our human desires, which is to know God and be known by him, to know his comfort and satisfaction and to dwell with him forever. I believe that these eight blessings are crucial to living out the kingdom because they reflect the character of the king. When we embody them, we embody him. And who knows that this is the ultimate goal at the end of the day that we would embody the life of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian literally means little Christ, that we would be walking representations on the earth of Jesus to a lost and dying world. 
That when people see your life because you've been formed so much into his image, they see not you, they don't see Brad, they don't see Chris, they see Jesus in you. This is the ultimate goal. This is what Jesus is telling us to go after. And so we've been journeying through this series for a while, but where do we go from here? How do we actually sustain a kingdom lifestyle? That's, that's what I am after this morning. How do we actually sustain this thing that Jesus has called us to? Because who knows? Following Jesus isn't an easy task. If we're actually being obedient to his spirit, if we're actually living and following his voice, we're going to go and do some really uncomfortable things. God's going to lead us not to, not to just hang out, you know, in the cool of the day, but he's saying, I'm going to actually lead you to places that only you can go. Will you say yes? And so before I answer that question of how do we sustain a kingdom lifestyle, I want to clarify something. Who was here last Sunday? Is here. Was anyone convicted, challenged? I went a little hard last Sunday, so welcome back. I'm glad you're still here. But last Sunday, we talked about blessed are the persecuted, which is like the weirdest of the eight, you know? Like the other ones are weird, and you can kind of wrap your mind around them. When Jesus says, blessed is the one who's going to be persecuted, you're like, what? Jesus, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And in this blessing, we, we dove into that this is an invitation to break out of comfort Christianity, to break out of just the routines of I'm just going to, you know, read my Bible and do good things. I'm going to go to bed and that's it. That, that this call, when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, he's saying, blessed are those who've lived so radically obedient to me that they count God's truth over their own truth, that they, got, they count God's way over their way. And they don't care the cost that they have to face to follow him. That's what it means. And so last week, we, we, I wanted you guys to see the cost of following Jesus, the weight of actually living out his kingdom, because this isn't a cozy thing. And if we don't get this, nothing else I say will matter. If we don't get the cost of following Jesus, then nothing else I say will matter. You might get a cool word and something you can retweet, and that's about it. But I want this thing to actually form into our lives. And I think Jesus had the same perspective. So let's go to Matthew 13, verse 11 to 15. Matthew 13, verse 11 to 15. This is some good stuff. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's what we, we dove into for the past three months. We're, we're diving into the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you have my permission. You have access to understand these secrets. But others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Okay, Jesus. Verse 13 keeps going. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend, for the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. 
and, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And listen to this. And they cannot turn to me and let me what? Let me what? Heal them. Let's let that sink in. How often have we been in a moment where we get an encounter from God? God touches us. Someone gives us a prophetic word that just lines up. Or, or God just moves so powerfully in a room. And we're experiencing it, but then nothing else happens. <laughs> Has anyone been there? I've been there. Where God just breaks through the walls of my heart. And God actually does something. But then I wake up the next day and I'm like, okay, that's it. This is what Jesus is addressing. He's saying, you've been given access to the secrets of my kingdom, but nothing is happening. You're, you're, you're listening, but you're not hearing. You're seeing, but, but you're not perceiving. And this is my fear for us, is that we come to church and we get a good word and we get a good revelation and we have a good encounter in worship, but it stays there. Continuing last week's energy, as you guys can see. Anyone want to be challenged this morning? Okay. And Jesus specifies this. He says, there's, there's two people here in Matthew 13. I want you guys to pay attention. There's two people. Both have given the same access. The difference between the two in Matthew 13 is one is teachable and one is not. That's it. One is teachable and one is not. One wants to be a student and one doesn't care. Let me show you. Let me show you in the text. Verse 12. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will, be, they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Jesus specifies the teachable one, the one who is listening and in tune, will be given more understanding, will be given an abundance of knowledge, they will hear his voice, their hearts will be softened, and they will receive healing. Amen. Whereas the unteachable one, the one who encounters God, and they have a moment, or they get a good word, or they hear from the Lord, but it just stays there, the, the unteachable one will lose understanding. They won't be able to see God. They won't be able to hear God. They won't be able to understand what he says. Their hearts are hardened, and they can't receive healing. <laughs> so which person are you this morning? And I think it's so profound. Jesus doesn't say, hey, the one who is, you know, a murderer and a, and a thief and doing all these crazy things, they're, they're the ones that aren't going to listen here. But he's saying, no, no, the one that simply doesn't listen. The, the one who simply isn't teachable, and this is important for us to get. So back to my first question. How do we actually sustain a kingdom lifestyle? How do we actually actively live out what Jesus has called us to live out? I believe the key to sustaining a kingdom lifestyle is being actively discipled by Jesus himself. That's it. That's my sermon. <laughs> the key to actually sustaining and, and sustaining an encounter and sustaining a move of God is that we have to actively be a student. 
We have to actively be discipled by Jesus himself. And so today's sermon, as we close out this series, we are diving into the way of the disciple. Say the way of the disciple. I believe that so many of us have a small picture of discipleship. And that has reflected in the current state of the church. That we've created a lot of converts, we've created a lot of Sunday-going Christians, but the church lacks active disciples. I don't know if you guys see that. (laughs) That we've also made discipleship and minimized discipleship to just a program, we've minimized it to just mentorship, which isn't wrong and is a part of it, but we've missed the substance and the power of it. And this is why I believe there's so many people deconstructing and so many people leaving the church. I don't know if you guys knew this, but young adults in their 20s to 30s are the most unreached people group in America. And we have the privilege at Breakthrough of reaching those people. (laughs) That the whole point of discipleship, I want you guys to pay attention to this. The whole point of discipleship is to lead people to be discipled by Jesus himself. That I'm currently discipling two men. And, you know, we'll go through our studies, we'll, we'll go through all that stuff, but at the end of the day, my goal is to disciple them into being discipled by Jesus. That's how you sustain a kingdom lifestyle. That's how you sustain what God is actually doing, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. (laughs) Say, don't just follow me. Don't just mirror my life. Follow me as I lead you to Jesus. It was interesting that a disciple in the context of Jesus' time were full-on apprentices. This was their full-time commitment. Being a disciple isn't a part-time job. It isn't a side hustle. It isn't a hobby. (laughs) But I think it's so interesting because in Jesus' time, right, we we know the terminology of of being a disciple. He says, come follow me and, and I'll make you my disciple. That being a disciple was normal. This wasn't like this spiritual thing that Jesus just made up. Being an apprentice and being a disciple of a master, of a carpenter, of a philosopher, this was a very normal thing of a Pharisee. This was a very normal thing. And I think it's so powerful that Jesus says, this construct, this relational dynamic is going to be the key to sustaining my kingdom. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather 12 disciples, and I'm going to commission these disciples to make more disciples. And as those disciples make more disciples, they make more disciples, the kingdom is going to spread. Billy Graham, he says this, salvation is free, but disciple costs everything that we have. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost everything that we have. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves (laughs) and take up their cross daily. Not just Sundays. Uh Uh-oh. Daily. And follow me. And you keep reading, man. Jesus is intense. He literally says this, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, and then you can follow me. 
And Jesus, obviously, if you know the context, he's, he's saying love less. That's what the word hate means, the original language. But he's saying that I have to be the primary focus if you're going to follow me. Jesus, I need, to, I need to bury the dead. Jesus said, let the dead bury themselves. Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to sell everything that you have. And what's unique, Jesus isn't focused on the outward. He doesn't need some outward radical thing, but it's the heart. He's saying, is your heart willing to give everything up? I don't, I don't need you to be poor, you know. I don't need you to, to live in a cardboard box to be my disciple, but I want your heart to be willing to say, Jesus, I'll give everything up for you. So when Jesus says, whoever wants to be a disciple must deny, deny themselves, this doesn't mean that you have to hate your life and you can't be happy. It doesn't mean that you can't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that your Bible is your only form of entertainment, right? <laughs> okay, Jesus, I'm bored. I'm just going to read, you know, the book of Esther. But what he's saying is that there is a radical commitment in following Jesus that actually requires sacrificing everything that he calls you to sacrifice. You guys tracking? That there is a radical commitment in following Jesus. It requires sacrificing what he calls you to sacrifice. Guys, when's the last time that we told Jesus, Jesus, what do I have to sacrifice today to follow you? Jesus, today, what do I need to give up to follow you, to be obedient? I don't know the last time I did that. I'm convicted. Billy Graham also says this quote that I love. He says, Jesus invited us not to a picnic, <laughs> but to a pilgrimage. Not to a frolic, but to a fight. He offered us not an excursion, but an execution. Our Savior said that we would have to be ready to die to self-sin and the world. The word disciple means to be a learner or a student, which means the moment we stop learning from Jesus is the moment we stop being a disciple. Do I need to say that again? The moment we stop learning from Jesus is the moment we stop being a disciple. But a disciple in Jesus' day desires to not only learn the teachings of the rabbi, but to imitate the practical details of their life. To be a disciple is to embody the life of Jesus. I love what Paul says in Galatians 4. He says that, that he desires for Christ to be formed in us. In the context, he says that I, I have labor pains. He's like, I, am, I have labor pains to the point that I just want you to realize that Christ needs to be fully formed in your life. And what this looks like is if, if we had a sculpture, okay? Sculpture is Jesus. It's the perfect image of God. And he's saying, I want your life to mold and be formed to reflect that image. He also says in Ephesians 4 that we should mature in Christ. We should grow up in Christ. And so the goal of discipleship is to mature and become like him. Another quote that says, discipleship is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It's getting to be what he is. Isn't that good? Yeah. I heard someone else say this too. They said, you can be a Christian for 20 years, 
But you can also be a one-year-old Christian 20 times. That you can be a Christian for 20 years and you can come to church for 20 years and you can read your Bible for 20 years, but you can also be a one-year-old Christian and never be maturing 20 times. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. We're all called to the same thing, which is to mature in Christ. That in the kingdom, <laughs> the Lord told me this once, in the kingdom, age doesn't dictate spiritual maturity. Obedience does. Age does not dictate spiritual maturity, but obedience does. Luke 6.40 says this. You guys okay? Okay. Luke 6.40 says this. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained, say fully trained, fully trained will become like the teacher. I love that. Discipleship is like training. Has anyone ever trained for something? Maybe for a marathon, maybe for a race. That in high school, I did soccer and in off-season, I would train for soccer by doing cross-country. And as you guys can see, I don't have the built for a cross-country runner. All right, I got short legs and big calves. But I, 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 I did cross-country, and I hated it. It was like the worst. Has anyone done cross-country? It's like torture. I don't, I don't know why people think it's fun. It's just like, let me just torture myself for a medal. And... I mean, I did fine. Like, I, I wasn't the worst, but I wasn't the best. But I, I trained myself. I pushed myself. I, I pushed myself out of the comfort zone of my life. I, I, I stretched myself to train, to prepare for what I was actually going to do. And this is what Jesus is saying. A student who is fully trained, not partially, but fully trained will become like the teacher. That it takes work and pushing past comfort and sacrifice. Guys, this is the goal of the kingdom, to make disciples who become like Jesus. This is how the kingdom expands. I think it's significant that the last commandment Jesus told his followers after his resurrection was to do what? Was to make disciples. The last things he said after he resurrected, he said, I give you this last command. This is, this is what I want to usher you into. What I want my, my church and my body and my followers to be ushered into is to go make what? Converts? To go make mentees? No. Go make disciples of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, because I give you the same authority that I have been given. I want you guys to pay attention to this. When I say that we can actively be discipled by Jesus, I actually mean that literally. This is the whole point of this sermon. I actually believe literally you can be discipled by Jesus. And we need Paul's and we need Timothy's and we need people in our life to push us to be discipled by Jesus. Jesus literally says, go make disciples, go do this. I'm not saying don't be a disciple maker, but we need to understand the heart. If we want sustainable Christians, 
Man, I've known people who, who've done the big ministry schools and done all these things, and they're not walking with Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They, they've seen the encounters. They've encountered God, but now they're fully walked away. They're not even following Jesus anymore. How does this happen? It's because we've, we've made the Christian life dependent on somebody else. And who knows that Jesus is the only person that can actually sustain your walk. I can't. Man, I can't sustain your walk for you. Your parents can't. Your mentor can't. But Jesus can. When I say that the call is to be discipled by Jesus himself, I don't mean this conceptually. I don't mean that you just study his teachings from 3,000 years ago and you call yourself a disciple because that's what people do. I mean the same way that Peter, James, and John followed and were taught by Jesus himself, so could you. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Paul was an apostle, but he never physically saw Jesus. He, he had an open vision encounter with Jesus, and so that's what gave him the title of an apostle, which is someone who has walked with Jesus. But after Jesus, or after Paul's encounter, right, the scales fall from eyes, it's crazy, he's persecuting Christians, that we see in scripture that he actually went into the desert for three years, and he was just getting revelation from the Holy Spirit. He says that the gospel that I have, that I give to you, I didn't receive it from man. I received it from God himself. To John 14, 26, it says this, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, mess some of your guys' theology. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and he teaches what is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Before we go to that, I want to go back to John 14, 26. It says this. But when the Father sends the advocate as my, representa- as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I've told you. That is powerful. Jesus is saying that even though I'm going to physically leave, I'm going to give you a representative, someone that is going to fully represent me to you. That when you hear his voice, it's my voice. When you encounter him, you're encountering me. And he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. And so the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and he is here to be a present representative of Jesus to you, teaching you all things and reminding you of the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. That this was my, my journey. Before breakthrough was, was planted, I encountered the Lord in my bedroom. I've shared this story a lot. But out of that place, you know, I grew up Presbyterian, you know, Holy Spirit didn't exist, Father, Son, Holy Bible, right? It wasn't bad, but it was just void of so much life. And the full view of Scripture wasn't, it wasn't there. And what happened, I encountered the Holy Spirit in my bedroom by myself, no grid, never met a spirit-filled person in my life that I knew of at least. And what happened was it was three months of the Holy Spirit just teaching me in my bedroom. 
I started doing these things that I would call sermons to myself. <laughs> that I would open scripture. And I was a very young Christian at this time. I opened scripture and said, Holy Spirit, just teach me what this means. Reveal to me who Jesus is. And, and I would go through the book of Matthew. I would go through the book of Acts. I would go through Paul's letters. And I have journals literally in my house full of just sermons that I wrote to myself. And I would preach these sermons back to myself in the morning. And obviously at that time, right, I, I didn't have proper understanding of hermeneutics and covenant theology and all these different things. But even in my limited understanding, the Holy Spirit taught me what I needed to know. He wasn't like, hey, let me teach you eschatology right now, <laughs> right? But those three months, and obviously, you know, I listened to other preachers and you know, I had my Bible studies, but it was the Holy Spirit teaching me, and out of that place, breakthrough started as a prayer meeting, which now, which eventually grew to a community group, which eventually grew to a house church, which eventually grew to a local church, which eventually grew to what it is now. And I think for a lot of us, we know how to follow, but we don't know how to be led. It's easy to follow a bunch of rules. It's easy to follow what Jesus taught because it's Jesus. But do we know how to actually be led by the Spirit? Do we know actually how to be led by Jesus himself right now? Because he says, I'll give you someone greater, my Spirit, who will teach you all things. Okay, let's go back to 1 John, 20, or 1 John 2, 27. I'm going to read this again says this, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. I want you to stay with me, because I know this is a crazy verse. You don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and he teaches what is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Jesus. So John is saying here, the Holy Spirit can be your pastor. The Holy Spirit can be your Bible teacher. He can be your source of revelation. And I want you to stick with me because some of you might be like, this is going over my head or I don't agree with you. Stick with me. He's not saying you can't have people teach you. <laughs> John isn't saying you can't have pastors. You, you can't listen to, to theologians. I, I, I love theology. I love diving deep into theology. I love studying scripture. But what he's saying is that you don't, you can have people teach you, but you don't need people to teach you. And there's a difference. There's a difference between wanting and needing. Do you guys know that? That I can want my wife to love me. <laughs> and that is a very good desire. But if I need my wife to love me, to be satisfied then I've made an idol. All right. <laughs> this doesn't mean that we don't need a physical pastor, we don't need theologians, but there's a difference, as Paul says, from spiritual milk and spiritual meat. Spiritual milk is food that is processed for you, where spiritual meat requires you to process it for yourself. Does that make sense? that I'm going to be here every Sunday preaching, <laughs> which is amazing. But my desire is that as I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit is teaching you. Because you're not going to get everything that I say. You're not going to remember everything that I say. 
But the Holy Spirit in you is going to teach you what you need to know. So with that being said, I cannot be your main source of revelation. YouTube cannot be your main source of revelation. Why? Because you're getting secondhand discipleship. You're just getting people's leftovers. Okay. Before people start walking out, I can feel the tension. It's good. I love the tension. Okay. So how do we discern this? Because it's here. And I make this up. It's here. How do we discern, okay, is this God? Am am I just reinterpreting scripture for myself? Am, am, Am I just you know, following the spirit, but it's not the spirit. How do we actually discern this? Because that's a real thing. And people do some really whack stuff. And thank God we have pastors. Thank God we do have theologians to keep us in check and people who've studied it deeper. But I love, John actually specifies this. He doesn't say, hey, just swirl out and, you know, start levitating. He says this at the end of First John. For the spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what he teaches you is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, what does it say? Remain in fellowship with Christ. So how do we test if it's the Holy Spirit teaching us? Does it lead us to deeper fellowship and intimacy with Jesus? That's it. Is what we are receiving from the Lord, is it leading us to deeper fellowship or intimacy with Jesus? Because God will never lead you away from himself and the devil will never lead you closer to God. <laughs> that was not like, let me teach you this false revelation that's actually gonna you know, make you closer to Jesus. It doesn't work like that. But God will never lead you away from himself. The devil will never lead you closer to God. All right, we're almost wrapping up. You guys okay? I'm sweating. That means, this means I'm preaching. Matthew 11, let's go there. I love this. Who loves Matthew 11? You guys love this verse, this passage? Right, the come, come to me all who weary and heavy burdened. Matthew 11, 28 says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Remember that word. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. How often do we read this passage and we just kind of skim over it? We're like, okay, rest, heavy burdens, come to Jesus. That's it. That's what it means. We made it. Let's dive in a little bit with what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you are tired and heavy, anyone this morning tired and heavy? If you are tired and heavy, come to your rabbi and he will give you rest. Take upon his yoke, which means to partner, okay, and stay connected to him. Take upon his yoke that connects you to him. Verse 29, let him teach you. Let him disciple you, right? Remember, a disciple is a learner. Let him disciple you and trust that he is humble and gentle in his leading. That learning from him is easy to bear and will lead to rest. 
that you will find rest through his leading. That Jesus wants to disciple us, that he wants to teach us, he wants to lead us, he wants to be the Lord of our lives. And I think what's, what's key here, because we read this verse, come to me, how weary and laden, heavy, heavy laden, I'll give you rest, take upon my yoke. And what's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'll remove your burdens, just like that. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me and I'll give you a yoke, <laughs> right? If you know, it's the tool that connects oxen. Come to me and let's, let's get yoked. Let's get equally yoked. All right, let's get yoked. You guys are laughing. But what's interesting, he says, once you put on my yoke, now let me teach you, Okay. And from my teaching, you will find rest for your souls. And the key here, guys, is that he doesn't just remove the burdens, but he disciples you out of it. He doesn't say, come to me and stand on my feet, and then boom, all your problems are gone. He's saying, no, I want to sustain. I want sustainable kingdom lifestyle. I want to sustain your walk with me. So when you come to me, let me teach you how to sustain the spirit, the life I've given you. And so as you walk out my life, you will know how to walk through these, these burdens and these, these trials because I'm leading you and I'm discipling you out of it. That's good. So I want you to answer these questions out loud, Okay. Can we hear his voice? Can we experience his presence? Then you have all that you need to be discipled by him. There we go. Yes. Dallas Willard, he says this. You ready? There is no problem in the human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. There is no problem in the human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve, that he wants to disciple us through it. Coming to a close, 1 John 4, 17, this is another verse that just blow your mind. This is one of those verses when I first got taught it or when I, when I read it, I was like, this is in the Bible, what? It says, this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Other translations say that in this world, we are like Jesus. We live like Jesus in this world. <laughs> so today we are being invited to be discipled by Jesus and the whole point of being a disciple is to think, become, and live like our rabbi. Guys, that God desire, God's desire is that you will be like him in this world, not just when you die, but here and now. His desire is that you won't just wait till you go to heaven and get your glorified body, and then now you're like Jesus. But right here and now, he says, on this, on this earth, as you become perfected in love, as he is, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. So I want to ask you guys a question. Is Jesus anxious? Some of you guys weren't sure about that. Is Jesus anxious? Then so can you be living in peace in this world.
Is Jesus distant from God? And so can you live in full intimacy with him in this world? Is Jesus weak and tired? You guys weren't sure about that one either. Is Jesus weak and tired? All right. Then so can you live in strength and authority in this world. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. Some good, rich theology right there. The creamy broth. So worship team, you guys can come up. So how do we sustain a kingdom lifestyle? Let's go back to that question. How do we sustain this thing? How do we sustain our encounters? How do we, how do we be 50, 60, 70 years old and we're still on fire for Jesus? That, to me, is the, the most impressive thing, is when I see people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they're pressing in in worship, that their fire hasn't gone out, that they're still running after Jesus. So how do we sustain a kingdom lifestyle as we say yes to discipleship from Jesus? You guys can stand up.